So our perfectionism, even though we're looking for it in places that it doesn't exist, and this is the ultimate source of all suffering, looking for perfection where perfection doesn't exist in the relative world, in my job, in my bank account, in my relationships, you'll never find it there. It's just that we're looking for it in the wrong place. Be confident, be bold, be authentic, but don't forget to take action. This is Ordinary to Badass, where our stories empower women to step into the spotlight of their own lives and pursue what they're truly passionate about. It's time to step into the arena and become more than just extraordinary. It's time to become a badass with your host, Marie Sonneman. Welcome to Ordinary to Badass, episode number 239. In this episode, you are going to hear from Tom Cronin. Tom is a transformation coach, meditation teacher, an author, and the portal film. So listen to this episode. You're going to hear Tom and I talk about meditation, perfectionism, and limiting beliefs. Such a great episode. I don't know if I've told you, but absolutely, I'm obsessed with meditation and all things. So this episode, I was definitely loving it. So yeah, give it a listen. I can't wait for you to hear this. And if you've never meditated a second in your life, this is still for you. There is so much goodness in this episode. So with that, let's get to the episode. Welcome to Ordinary to Badass. Whether you're ordinary or badass, I am so glad you're here. Today's guest is Tom Cronin. Tom, thank you so much for being here. Excited to have you on the show. That's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me along today. So before we go any further, I've got to ask you, do you consider yourself ordinary or badass? I would definitely say I'm not ordinary. Uh, I think in your category of badass, I'd probably have to go with badass. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so have you always felt that way or did it come with time? Yeah, you know, I always felt very different uh, to, you know, in your, in your early days when you're young and you're trying to fit in, but you can't, you, know, this, you just know that there's something very different about you. Um, it's, it's very intimidating. You feel self, um, you know, you lack confidence. You feel there's something wrong with you. You know, I just wasn't the normal guy that sort of, I played soccer. I went to an all boys school. I was a big football school. I, you know, I was more of a sort of deep thinker and it was, it had a very strong connection with God. And I had this sort of sense of, um, you know, I wanted to have deeper conversations, but most of it was just piss taking and mucking around. And I didn't really feel that I was part of that community. But as you get older, you realize that that's a unique quality to embellish as a leader, as a conscious leader. Uh, when you're a kid, you know, you see that as like, there's something wrong with you, but as, as an adult and you start to really embrace that unique point of difference, then you step into that and you can only do one of two things when we're a little bit different. And that is to either own it or run from it and run from it is going to be uncomfortable. Owning it's going to be uncomfortable as well, but owning it and really stepping into that is where we really start to realize our full potential and start to feel that immense sense of purpose and vitality. So that owning it, does that get easier with time? Like the more that you own it, does it start to become more second nature? Yeah, you know, this is a big part about being badass is that, um, you know, we, we go from the unfamiliar to the familiar. So we always get to this boundary line of where we're comfortable and anything over that boundary line gets uncomfortable. And 
this is a, an expanding boundary line that continues to expand. So for me, the first starting point for me was to, you know, become a meditation teacher. That was unfamiliar. I wasn't a meditation teacher. I was a broker. I'd become very familiar being a broker, but I was very unfamiliar being a meditation teacher. So that's where that boundary line existed. Now, for me, that boundary line's familiar now. I've crossed over that threshold, gone from the, uh, from into the unfamiliar, which made it familiar over time. Now, what happens is we think, okay, well, what's my next boundary line of unfamiliarity, of discomfort, of, of that point of threshold where things are a little bit difficult? And so we've got to let go of this idea, particularly if we're badass people that are continually expanding and growing and learning that we're ever going to get to a point or should get to a point where it's always comfortable. Mm. We should be pushing up against that boundary line of unfamiliarity of discomfort and then stepping over that into the unfamiliar because that unfamiliar. So for me, the idea of walking on a stage and talking in front of people, I'd never done that in my life as a broker. Uh, And so when I got invited to speak on stage in Mexico at a large conference in front of 400, you know, conscious leaders, that was very unfamiliar. But these days that's very familiar. So what's my next threshold of going into the unfamiliar? I'm looking to always challenge myself and look at that next level of growth and expansion and challenge that can uh, I, that I can eventually familiarize myself with. So I can't wait to dig in a bit more. But first, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, yeah, so I'm a meditation teacher, a coach. I work predominantly with conscious leaders these days, helping them grow their businesses and get their message out to the world after having learned a lot of things and paid a lot of money to do that over the last 10 years. A uh, big part of what I'm doing is trying to short track that for a lot of people. Um, I've produced a film called The Portal, which is a, a film that looks into crisis and how mindfulness and meditation can help us move through crisis. Um, I've written six books and I run retreats and I work with some of the top companies like Amazon, Coca-Cola, Union Bank of Switzerland, helping them reduce stress and uh, embrace meditation in their lives. So that's uh, pretty much it in a nutshell. I'm also a father of two beautiful children, uh, twins, a boy and a girl, and I've been married for 20 odd years, I think, something around that. My wife will kill me for not knowing the exact <laughs> dates, but that's a typical guy thing, right? So you mentioned reducing stress. I know, especially with a pandemic, there's a lot of stress going on. What is something that we can do to start to reduce stress? Yeah, so stress is a response to circumstance, and we can... Uh, we can have a stress response or we don't necessarily have to have a stress response. This is something we first and foremost need to understand. The circumstances will be um, variable. They'll be inconsistent. They'll be uncertain. We will continuously get things arising in our life that we didn't expect. Pandemics, could be a war, could be a financial crisis. It could be that someone dings the back of your car. It could be that the weather turns sour on a picnic when it was supposed to be sunny. You know, we're constantly gonna get unmet expectations. And how we respond to that will determine whether we have a stress response or not. So it's really important we understand that there's always going to be situations that won't meet expectations, but how do we navigate our way through that without having the stress response? And what I found was one of the most effective tools to prevent the stress response, not wait till the stress response is there and then deal with it, but to prevent and reduce that stress response is meditation. When we meditate on a regular basis, that's morning and evening. Uh, for me, I highly suggest that we have a practice that we can embrace on a daily basis, if not ideally two times a day. Then what happens is we connect to a part of ourselves that actually can't be stressed. This is a really important part in the discussion here. We tend to think and associate our existence with our thoughts, our feelings and our physical body. This is who I am. 
I think, I feel, and I, and I move. And this is my identity. But there's also a part of us that most people aren't aware of that is this fourth layer. In Sanskrit, it's got a word called Turiya, this fourth layer of reality. So we've got very dense layer of physical form. The next dense layer is our emotional form. The next uh, dense layer is the, the, the mental form. But then we've got a layer that's, that's so lacking in density, it's so subtle that most of us don't even know it's there. And this is this layer of, some call it source, divinity, our higher self, our, um, you, know, uh, you know, there's so many, our state of presence or our state of being, and it can't actually be stressed. And meditation helps us stabilize ourselves in that state more and more so that we can move through the world, observing it in an objective, not subjective viewpoint where we're unruffled. And it's a beautiful state to be in where we're in this beautiful equanimous state of blissfulness and peacefulness that allows us to realize more of our potential because stress really reduces our ability to be um, realizing our full potential. So I know for a lot of people, and I used to worry about this too with meditation would be, oh, I just hear my thoughts going nonstop, nonstop. Is that a good thing or is that something you should work to silence? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, a lot of people are getting very frustrated with meditation at the moment because they're trying to stop thoughts uh, and they can't. And that frustrates them and feels like they're not getting anywhere. First, we've got to understand that meditation is a process. It's not an end result. A lot of people are very attached to the end result where I need to have no thoughts. Otherwise, I'm not meditating. If I don't get no thoughts, then I'm, I'm failing at this. And so it's not a, an end result. It's a process of um, being disciplined with the practice. And there's so many different types of meditation. So we want to firstly understand that meditation isn't just closing your eyes and trying to have no thoughts because that's not going to work. The mind actually wants to think. You've asked your mind to think all day long. You've asked your mind to process lots of information all day long. So then suddenly going, hey, mind, I know I asked you to process 15, 20, 40,000 thoughts every day, but uh, I want you to stop right now. I want you to stop thinking. The mind doesn't want to do that and it'll get very frustrated. We want to have a, a mechanism or a process or a device that calms the mind. So for me, what I recommend is using mantras. Um, I use transcending mantras and that's what I teach. The mantra plays an integral role in being a device to calm the mind. So it does all the work for you. All you have to do is repeat the mantra inside your head. And we give those mantras in usually a, a, a short brief ceremony or I've got an online program where they can get their mantra. Um, otherwise, you can just focus your, your, your mind on the breath, moving through the nostrils and cooling the skin around the rim of the nostril. So we're going to now focus our mind on something, but only one thing. And that can also play a role in calming the mind. But just to close your eyes and try and empty the mind, it's not going to work. How does saying a mantra during meditation, how does that help? So these mantras have particular qualities about them. They, uh, they're called bij mantras, uh, B-I-J-A, and bij means seed, and a seed is something that's planted under the ground. And the mantra has a quality about moving the mind away from the gross world, which is the world outside of us. So our mind from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep is projecting externally into the future, past or present to an object, form or phenomenon that creates some degree of excitation and stimulation. Instagram, Facebook, worrying about our money, uh, remembering an experience or fond, fond experience or a terrible experience. All of that is where the mind naturally gravitates to because that's where it gets the most charge or excitation. Whether it's positive or negative, the mind doesn't worry. In actual fact, 
the mind finds it gets more stimulation and charge if it goes to negative things. So therefore, the mind generally gravitates towards more negative things in our life. Now, the mantra plays a role on taking the mind, and this is why it's very hard to stop thinking when we're meditating, because the mind wants to go to forms of phenomenons to get its stimulation. So the mantra moves the mind inward away from gross forms to subtlety, and it takes the mind away from stimulation into a de-excited state. The mind won't naturally go there, so we do use a device that's going to help the mind do that, and that's where the mantra comes in. It has a particular quality about it that um, lures the mind. It's like a beautiful luring mechanism away from the outside world and stimulation to the subtle world and the, the quietness and the serenity. What do you recommend for somebody who's new to meditation? Like, how can they start? Well, look, I mean, there's so many different ways people can start. And this is a, a very subjective process. There's different types of meditations. And in those different types of meditations, there's different teachers of those te techniques. And firstly, we want to find a technique that we really get a lot out of. We, we get If you've got a technique of meditation that you're using, and there's literally thousands of them, if you've got a technique that you're using that is frustrating, it's not really getting you anywhere, you're not really seeing any tangible results, you're just simply not going to bring it into your life. So firstly, look around for a technique that really resonates with you that you're like, wow, this, 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 this resonates with me, the teacher resonates with me, and it's something I want to do on a regular basis. Um, I would highly recommend learning meditation from a qualified instructor, rather than just closing your eyes and trying to wing it yourself. It's like, you know, if you need to see a dentist, you go to a professional that's trained in that area. Um, you don't just get a pair of pliers and work it out yourself. So uh, ideally, when we're dealing with spirituality, enlightenment, the mind, um, our own emotional and mental state, go to a qualified professional that is going to, you know, support you through that process. Um, for me personally, I did a lot of shopping around and I did a lot of research. Uh, what I found was the, the deeper transcending styles of meditation were much more effective for me. I wanted something that was going to be very effective, very tangible and very immediate in the experience of it, but also very blissful. And so I found that transcendental meditation or Vedic meditation, uh, also primordial sound technique, those types of meditations where they use those particular mantras, for me, were much more effective. Um, so if someone's just starting out, there's three different ways you can go. Uh, you can go onto YouTube and find a free meditation and just find something that might work for you. Uh, there's plenty of meditations in Spotify um, and in, there's a bunch of different apps um, I've got a meditation program on, on my website that people can access, which is a 21 day meditation program, which teaches them how to use the mantra and how to meditate using the mantra and also run weekend workshops, but only in person here in Australia, where people can actually learn with me in a live format, um, here in Sydney. So I think it's important to see behind the scenes a little bit. Oftentimes when people are guests on a podcast or on social media, we see, like life is all gumdrops and lollipops, which we know there's hardship and there's stuff behind it. Can you talk a little bit about some of the hardships that you went through to get to where you are today? Yeah, the, we, we always have challenges. This is one thing that's really important, even for meditation teachers, even enlightened people. You look at Buddha, um, Buddha, Jesus, you know, all of the enlightened masters um, had immense challenges and immense suffering as well. So it's really important uh, that we don't sugarcoat things, uh, particularly with social media these days. It's very easy to represent or you know be perceived in a particular way that everything's just beautiful and rosy um you know i've got a wonderful family life i'm very healthy i've got uh, a great degree of 
um, you know, well-being about my life. But you know, there's still struggles and challenges. I have business challenges with uh, some large projects that I've I've uh, created. You know, that film project was very very difficult, um, and still creates some challenges. Um, I've got uh, family members that are having difficulties, uh, health problems that are challenges. Um, you know, you've, we've had floods, immense floods here in Australia. A lot of people have lost their homes. So I've been spending some time with those people to help them um, get through those difficult times. You have conflict where something you, you do or say uh, might ruffle someone's feathers. Uh, you know, we, we'll always, particularly someone that has the voice in the world, um, we will always have to some degree of a polarized audience. Uh, some people will really, really love our work and some people will find some way of not liking what you have to say or the way you do what you do. Um, we're all imperfect and we all uh, are fallible. And so it's really important that we're, we go easy on ourselves and, and give ourselves a bit of gentleness. I'm probably the one person that needs to hear this more than anyone because I really beat myself up for all my fall failings. I'm a bit of a perfectionist. Um, that's where I get a lot of my drive and a lot of my success from. But um, at the same time, it comes with its own challenges. So we want to be kind and gentle on ourselves and acknowledge that challenges will always be there no matter what. So how do you combat this perfectionist side of yourself? I mean, I know it serves some good too. I'm not saying it's all bad, but I know that's something that the ordinary to badass audience struggles with too, is trying to be perfect all the time. Um, do you have anything that you do to combat that? Yeah, I think we really need to dive deep into the very original source of that perfection seeking and what I cognized was that what I'm seeking in my perfectionism is I'm seeking myself because at my subtlest level, let's just call it divinity or God, there's perfection. And so me as an extension of that perfection that once upon a time broke the symmetry of that perfection as pure divinity or pure source, pure God to become form and phenomenon where time and space and matter was created. And that, there goes from perfection into imperfection and in the imperfection of the forms and phenomenons which i'm actually part of there, there's a natural tendency to try and seek itself back again and so our perfectionism even though we're looking for it in places that it doesn't exist and this is the ultimate source of all suffering looking for perfection where perfection doesn't exist in the relative world in my job in my bank account in my relationships you'll never find it there it's just that we're looking for it in the wrong place the way and, and it's okay to be looking for perfectionism or perfection but make sure that we're not looking for it in a place that it doesn't exist because that will lead to frustration perfection only exists in the divine it only exists in source in god and so when i'm in that transcendent experience in meditation and through the meditation when i'm sustaining that outside of meditation i experience that degree of perfectionism now not in my actions not in my world of relativity but in the state of presence and not that I'm perfect. It's just that that, that, that state is perfection. That's the non-changing state of pure bliss, pure love, pure consciousness, which is the very essence of all reality. So do you have a mantra for that? Um, the mantra that I use in my meditation is the tool that I use to get to that, that place. That place exists beyond form and phenomenon. What, what, what the problem is with the world is that we're striving so hard in the world of form and phenomenon to find something that we can't find. And it's about, look, expressing that, that perfection through our form and fallibility and looking to achieve great things in the world, 
but letting go of the need for it all to be perfect, even though you're striving for it to be perfect, that's okay too, because that's what divinity is doing. It's expressing its perfection through form and phenomenon. It's quite interesting. So did you always know that you were going to be a meditation teacher or how did this come about? No, I, I, when I was a kid, like I said, I had a, I grew up in a Catholic house, a uh, Catholic family. And, uh, you know, we still, I'm at my mum and dad's farm at the moment. We have church, uh, we have uh, crosses of Jesus on in nearly every room. And, um, you know, I went to mass every week. We did grace before dinner. We did um, the rosary every night during Lent and all those Catholic sort of practices. And I had a very strong connection to this, um, this presence some will call it God, uh, and this this idea that there was this intelligence that's bigger than me, and I had a very strong, loving relationship with that, and I did, did a lot of prayer as a kid. And then in my 20s, I kind of completely ignored all of that. I went quite wayward and went right into, you know, the party scene, drugs, drinking, um, you know, typical Wolf of Wall Street on a big trading room floor, and uh, was very much enamored by all of the glamour and glitz of the abundant life of being in, in the finance market. And what happens is, as we move further and further away from that source of our being, the source of, of divinity, then we have greater and greater degrees of suffering. So all the suffering in the world is greater degrees of disconnect. And interestingly, it was in my darkest night of my life when I was riddled with anxiety, riddled with panic attacks, riddled with depression, riddled with, you know, even to the point of suicidal tendencies, really questioning whether I wanted to go on with life. Um, that's when I came across meditation. And what what i found in the meditation experience was that everything that i was looking for in that decadence and um hedonism was really to be found in this in this quiet state of the mind in the subtlety of transcendence and that was a big wake-up call for me and i was just blown away because i wasn't looking for enlightenment or a connection to god i just wanted the hell to get rid of this anxiety get rid of this insomnia get rid of this depression you know that was what was motivating me and this seemed to be something that looked like it could solve that problem. So that's all I was looking for then, but I was just blown away how quickly it changed my life. And I, I became almost uh, a bit annoying, like someone on a soapbox wanting to change the world because like, hey guys, you've got to hear about this stuff. You know, this is like, this is a game changer. This can literally change the planet. Like everyone needs to be doing this. And so I was very impassioned by my experience and, and the need to get this into the households of the world. So that's when I started to realize that I wanted to pass this on. So was that an easy decision for you then or a hard decision um, leaving the job that you were in and you had known, I don't know for how many years, but, and then going to being a meditation teacher. It was a really, really hard decision. And for everyone that's listening that it, it are in full-time jobs that aren't fulfilling and they want to go into something that they're more passionate about, like coaching or teaching. Uh, you know, this is something we grapple with for a long time. You know, I I'd had a very massive mortgage over a million dollar mortgage. I was earning a lot of money, multiple, multiple six-figure salary. I'd been in that job for 26 years. So that was the same company. So for the first 10 years of that job, it was just drinking drugs, partying. Um, then I had the sort of, let's just call it what it was. There was a nervous breakdown at the age of 29. And then um, I learned to meditate and that was a game changer for me. And I went back into that job for 16 more years. And I worked as a broker meditating and not drinking or doing the drugs and just um, found a great degree of success in that job. But I developed such a successful role there um, and so become quite a senior sort of broker that I knew I really wanted to teach meditation, but it's not a great financial career move <laughs> going into teaching meditation from finance. And this is always the challenge to make that transition. Plus I had this big investment um, set up with the film 
and that um, took a lot longer and didn't quite get where I'd wanted it to. So all these complexities and challenges had arisen. Um, and so it was a very difficult decision to make, but it just got more and more compelling and more and more, I guess, more and more like, uh, it was like almost choiceless that it, I, it was something that I had to do and I had to just find a way through it. And that's what I, I mentor a lot of people as to how to make that transition. But I, I do recommend to all my clients and to anyone that might be listening that it's okay to have a day job and to be making money out of something that isn't that fulfilling and do what you love on the side. We've got to remember that this is a very new phenomenon for us to actually have a job and make money out of doing something that we love. Uh, you know, we were candlestick makers, bakers, you know, blacksmiths. We, we generally in the past just did things to make money to feed our family and to house and create shelter. These days, we seem to live in a world that we're obsessed with the idea that our purpose and our passion should be our revenue maker. And that never used to be the case. You know, we only have to go back 20, 30, 40 years. And people just worked to make money um, because that's what we had to do. And now we have a little bit more choice. You can be a, an influencer uh, traveling around the world and staying in hotels and make $150,000 a year just by taking some photos of yourself. So um, you can be a a musician from your lounge room and you know have a huge success on youtube or TikTok and get sponsorship and make lots of money out of that so it's a new world that's opened up where people can actually make money out of things that doing that they love but that's pushed a lot of people into this sort of challenging position because a lot of us are struggling to make money out of doing what we love and it's not easy to do that some people get success and some people it's a challenge so if you've got a day job i highly recommend to sustain that as long as possible, keep that security and that consistency. And it's okay that you're in a job that isn't that fulfilling. Uh, that's just okay to do that. Um, and and to if you want to find some way of having passion and purpose on the side, we've got to remember, Superman had a day job. He was a journalist. And at nighttime, he put on his lycra and wanted to save kittens. But, uh, you know, most of the time, he just worked as a journalist in his tweed jacket. So... I imagine that when you first made the change to become a meditation teacher, that you probably got some weird looks or some weird comments from your co like your former coworkers or people around you. How did you deal with that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, firstly, when I started meditating in the industry, uh, it was a big point of difference and I was definitely seen as a bit of a, an oddball. And so this idea of me being different arose again and again and again, uh, everywhere I went. It was interesting that I, I, I grew up in a small country town, which is very country-like and then I went to an all-boys school which was very country-like and you know and then I went into a trading room floor which was all bunch of guys and very similar energies and dynamics all the way through so it was a breath of fresh air when I did leave I must admit but yeah definitely it was seen as an odd thing to do and a lot of people really questioned and challenged it you know I was earning a lot of money in finance we were well looked after we had a chef that made us breakfast and lunch we had you know personal trainers that would come in that we didn't have to pay for a lot of perks and benefits and the company really looked after us it was a great company so to leave that was, in most people's eyes, just absolutely idiotic, uh, particularly at that stage in my life where we had, uh, you know, two young children and a, a big mortgage. Um, but there's always ways around these things. And a lot of people kept saying to me, you know, look, you're crazy. You'll never make that sort of money anywhere else. But what I found that was, was a limiting belief. You know, I, I it wasn't until afterwards that I found coaches that were making 20, 40, $50 million a year. Um, you know, some incredible coaches that were doing huge, huge things. 
And I just had to see this as a ceiling because it was very limited capacity for me to make any more than what I was making. I was earning really good money, but there was definitely a ceiling of what I could make beyond that. And um, I started to see that my potential outside of the industry was going to open up more capacity, um, particularly if I, you know, really worked at it and created a product line and uh, had a business model that was going to enable greater growth than what I was able to make in, in finance. So two things that I could see coming out of it. One was that if I can really scale my message to the world and reach out to the world in a big way um, and have the right product lines and the right vision, then, um, then this was a step forward in every area of my life because it's more fulfilling, more purpose-filled, but also the potential for more revenue was there as well. So what did you learn from that experience? Um, that it's a lot of hard work. <laughs> it's not easy. Anyone that sort of thinks, you know, because we can hear about these smash hit stories, you know, someone did this and all of a sudden they're making $50 million or $10 million or even $1 million, you know, and it's very easy to get pulled into those success stories because um, for every one of them, there's going to be hundreds, if not thousands of the failed stories of the, the person that, you know, tried to make it a huge success and they didn't. So firstly, um, there's a lot of trial and error. Hopefully a good coach will cut out a lot of that error side of things. But even then, you know, this journey is, uh, it takes time and it requires a lot of commitment. You know, uh, I've been doing podcast interviews and it's Easter holidays and these are sort of things that you do to, um, to continue to get your message out and, and work at the process of um, getting to a level of success that allows you to reap those rewards. But I would suggest a lot of patience, a lot of commitment and a lot of support as well, having people around you that can support you. Okay, so I know we're wind, winding down here and I definitely wanna respect your time. Um, but one of the questions I had is how do we overcome our limiting beliefs? You mentioned limiting beliefs earlier. How do we work to overcome those and start to realize our potential? Yeah, well, I, I take my clients through a process um, looking at the future version of themselves. So firstly, we wanna look at, we've got a previous version of ourselves, we've got a current version of ourselves. And we've got a future version of ourselves. Now, if you take anyone in this world, particularly in this space that we're in, and anyone listening right now, I would ask them, is your current version of yourself more evolved, more awake, um, more advanced than the previous version of yourself? Let's just say, go back five years. Have you grown? Have you learned? Have you expanded? Have you become more wise, more knowledgeable than five years ago? Now, most of us listening to this podcast, yourself included, myself included, would all say, well, absolutely. Um, this idea of getting coaching and listening to podcasts and reading books and going on retreats and meditating, doing yoga, doing all those things, it's, it's a very new phenomenon. So the future version of ourselves, the current version and the previous version of ourselves in the past were very static. It was like a flat line. If you go back to Nan and Pop or your grandparents, great-grandparents, um, they didn't go through that level of personal evolution and growth than what we go through. So if we can look at our previous version of ourselves and our current version of ourselves and see that there's been some degree of evolution and growth, then we can easily forecast the future version of ourselves on that curve will be even more advanced than our current version of ourselves. So what I do with my clients is I get them to look at the future version of themselves. What does the future version of yourself look like? What do you say? What do you act like? You know, what sort of day do you create? What type of activities do you use to, to improve yourself? What is your mindset? And a lot of what I do to use that as a barometer is I look at people who are, you know, further along the track than me 
and I start asking questions, you know, what would that person do on a daily basis? Would, would they be the one doing all these menial tasks or would they be outsourcing that? Um, you know, would they be the one that is playing small or are they sort of looking to look into new horizons? And, you know, I look at visionaries that really inspire me and futurists. And so really starting to look at the future version of yourself and asking, who do you want to become? Who do you want to be? Because you're always in the process of becoming something. Even today, while someone's listening to this, they're already in the process of becoming something more than what they are. So the future version of themselves, which is only a few minutes old than the current version of themselves, um, you know, is morphing and evolving. And so I always ask, what is that? What is the future version of you look like in five and 10 years time? Start to write that down, journal it, explore that, meditate on that, visualize that, get a sense of feeling for that. Where are you living? Who are you living with? What are you doing on a daily basis? What does your work look like? How big are your auditoriums that you're filling? How big are your retreats that you're filling? What is a, an example of this is that um, I, uh, I visualized myself having written a book and doing a book signing of that book in a main street in a bookstore in New York. And uh, I lived in Sydney and hadn't written any books. And I started visualizing, wow, imagine having a book signing in New York. That'd be pretty huge. Like I'd be a global writer. And there's a saying, if you can hold it in your head, you can hold it in your hand, which means that if you can visualize it and intellectualize it, then there's the potential to manifest it. And lo and behold, a few years later, there I was after a screening of my film in New York, down in East Village, uh, people were queuing up to have the book that I'd written signed by me. And I'd, I went, oh, wow, I'm manifesting what I always intended to do. Now, it wasn't on the street that I thought it would be, and it wasn't in a book bookstore, it was in a cinema, but there I was in New York signing the book that I'd written. And so um, really playing with the mind and exploring the mind and expanding into the future version of yourself makes a big difference. So good, so powerful. And I think it's like mind blowing the things that we can imagine and we can actually imagine and imagine it into our reality. So I love that. So Tom, let's end with a tip to encourage women who are in the arena fighting for the life that they want. Oh, a tip. Well, I think know that it's okay to be uncomfortable. Know that it's okay to be uh, challenged, but to feel and see that boundary line where that discomfort is and know that the discomfort is just because it's unfamiliar. It's not new. Uh, sorry, it is new and it's not familiar. It's not old. And so once you cross over that, know that eventually that new territory that you've ventured into will become familiar and it will become normal and it will become comfortable. And you'll be going, oh, wow, that was, that didn't last long for my discomfort in this space that I've moved into and to embrace that, to not run from it, but to move towards it. So whenever you feel that discomfort, move towards it, don't move away from it and know that you're going to be okay. And how can we connect with you? Um, big place that I'm on is Instagram. So Tom Cronin, just at Tom Cronin, one word, and then tomcronin.com, my website. And then they can watch my film. I'll read the book, The Portal at enterthepodal.com. That's E-N-T-E-R, enterthepodal.com. And you had a free resource, is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. So I'd love to give everyone a book. Um, it's just a short ebook. It's a very simple guide to reducing anxiety, reducing stress, reducing uh, overwhelm and how to operate in a much calmer way. So particularly if we want to play big in the world, one of the most important states that we can be in is to be unruffled. Unruffled means that we're, we're equanimous. We're able to move freely into these challenging and uncertain times without having this huge emotional upheaval 
uh, that can really uh, erode our capacity, our confidence and our ability to be calm and collective and creative. And so the book's going to be a bit of a guide to help you move forward in a much more calmer and more peaceful and creative way. That'll be in the show notes, I imagine, down below. Yes, absolutely. I'll add it to the show notes. Thank you so much, Tom. You've been a total badass and I've enjoyed hearing your story. That's great to be here. Thanks, everyone, for joining in today. And with that, we'll end the show. To all the badass women out there staying in the arena, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, own it and get after it. Okay, so let's do a recap of this episode. Stress, number one, stress is a response to a circumstance like war or whether you get hit by a car, but you can prevent that stress by meditating. When you meditate on a daily basis, you connect to the parts of yourself that can't be stressed. Two, meditation is not an end result. It's a process. Our mind wants to think and we ask it to think all day long. So use mantras during your meditation to help calm your mind. Three, if you want to start meditating and you haven't meditated before, find a technique that you get a lot out of. Look for a technique that really resonates with you. And then also find a qualified instructor. Four, perfectionism. We seek perfectionism because of pure source, God, divinity, and that's what we're aiming for. But you're seeking for yourself perfection where it doesn't exist. And that's the ultimate source of suffering is seeking for perfection or seeking perfection where perfection does not exist. And number five, to overcome limiting beliefs, look at the future version of, version of yourself. Is the current version of yourself more involved than five years ago? When we look at the previous and current versions of ourselves, we realize that we've become more evolved. And so then you can only imagine what you'll be like five years from now. Ask yourself, that five years from yourself person or coming from that person, what will you do on a daily basis? What will you create? Who will you want to become? What, is the what does the future version of yourself look like five to ten years from now? Okay, this episode was so great from Tom. I can't wait for you to hear three reasons why Tom is so badass so tune in on Thursday and I will talk to you then. Now that you've listened to this episode of Ordinary to Badass, we want to hear from you. Go to our website, ordinarytobadass.com slash podcast and submit your own experience on how you took your life from ordinary to badass and get the chance to be on a future spotlight episode of the show. That's ordinarytobadass.com forward slash podcast. While you're waiting for the next episode of the show, wipe off the sweat, dust off the dirt, and get back in the arena.